It's Open Mouth Syndrome with Elmo Kirkwood and Derek Foster. I was going to tell you about the first time I ever did acid. I'd like to hear about the first time you ever did acid. Um, we used to have a thing called barrel acid. What kind of acid is it? Barrel? What does that mean? Shaped like a barrel? It's not like you know, any sort of indication of its strength. A little piece of like sugar, something like that. Yeah. We had barrel acid and we had blotter acid. It was all about the method of dispensation and not in any way the strength. Right, yeah. Because <laughs> it was, that was an underground culture. Uh, so it was um, 1975 and I even could tell you what day it was because of what was on television. Well, what day was it? It was the day when Richard Pryor was on Saturday Night Live, which I believe was their third episode ever. That episode is best known for the routine where Richard Pryor comes in looking for a job and Chevy Chase is interviewing him and they have a word association test and it ends up with the, the term dead honky. Yes, 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 okay. It is very famous. It also had uh, Gil Scott Heron singing Johannesburg, which is pretty good. The revolution will not be televised. So anyway, I didn't know from acid and I just like took it I took it about like 8 o'clock at night. Who gave it to you? I don't remember. And this was 1975. Wow, so you were 15? Yes. <laughs> Excellent. So you take it by yourself? I took it by myself <laughs> in my house. What time of day? I wanted to get high for Saturday Night Live, which was the new Tripsters show. That was the stoner's destination. You would get high and watch the show. That was a thing? Yeah, that was a thing. Because that was the only way you could make it tolerable? No, because it, it was <laughs> our our generation, our sensibility on regular television. They would make stoner jokes and stuff like that. So, yeah, it was it was for heads. That makes yes, sense. Yeah. Oh, we obviously, right? You got pigs like Belushi and yeah, even yeah. Chevy Chase, who's like snorting a fucking metric ton of cocaine weekly. Right. Those are our Some people. Some of those original cast members are... They're all classics. I mean, at the time it was like a big fucking deal. So of course I needed to get high for it. So I thought I would take acid. <laughs> I'd never taken it before. So I'm reading my comic books, and suddenly it occurred to me because you know there's like the proscenium in art where you suspend your disbelief. Yeah, the willing suspension of disbelief. Yeah. And then it became plastic to me, and suddenly I realized I began to feel bad for the characters if they were poorly drawn in a certain panel. <laughs> and then I suddenly realized that one of the characters was coming in going, you're going to have a problem with me for all who deal with Mundengulox will have to deal with his power of blah, blah, blah. And I was like, going, why is he coming in <laughs> announcing his name and his power? That seems very artificial. And then I realized, oh, this must be coming on. So I went out and watched this fucking show with my stepfather. He used to tell me that John Lennon was a homosexual and that the Beatles were communists. That's fucking awesome. What was your stepfather's name? Dr. George. Dr. Kent. George Canton. How old were you when Dr. George Kent became stepfather, Dr. George Kent? Eight. You were eight? Uh-huh. And how long had you known him before that? A couple months. Holy smokes. The thing is, is about the time I was sick of looking at him and it told my mom, so I was like, are we going to keep having to see this guy? She's like, honey... I'm going to marry him. So how long had the courtship between the two of them existed before the nuptials occurred? Well, it's a funny thing you should say that, because I'm reasonably certain uh, it started before the end of uh, my parents' marriage. Good Lord. He was her boss. 
Okay, I see. So there's some dynamic uh, blap. There's some dynamic blap that makes this a different sort of blap than it could be otherwise. Well, part of the uh, blap, as you call it, has to do with the fact that my mom was working as a med tech, and she was putting my father through school. Well, did that create some resentment? That created some tension, as I came to learn, not that I noticed at the time. Well, you were just happy as a pig and shit being little Boston pre-stomach issues. My childhood was very wonderful to me. So, according to my father, we went out camping, the two boys and dad, and he forgot something back at home. So he turned around and came back, and apparently this George Kent character was already there. <laughs> but, bottom line is, he thought the Beatles were communists. He was a right-winger. We went to see um, Hair, this being the American tribal love rock musical Hair. Oh, uh, yeah. Even better than Love Doll Superstars was Hair. <laughs> uh Good morning. That one. Starshine. What a great record. <laughs> How about the fifth dimension? Yeah, they have that fucking. But anyway, I asked George, why do you want to go see hair? You don't like hippies? And he was like, I need to see what the young people today are all about. I hear a lot about these young people, and I need to feel like I need to provide my own uh, judgment on them. Well, let me tell you something. <laughs> he did not like hair. Well. It was already known that he was, he was sub-Nixon in his evil in my life <laughs> by that time. Uh, that's fine. He can do what he wants in that regard. You know, more power to him. But um, I never saw the man grimace in more horror than when, when those uh, hippies pulled out their danglers and, and their boobies and the like. Dude, you know, I like the idea of a total square, a total straight, right? Oh, God. Having to see dicks. Yeah. It's a formative moment in my life. It, Triumphant. There's something that, like... There's nothing like the repressed to oh really my God. create it, a show it, for the rest like, of us. It's like... Anyway, at the end of the thing... My mom and I are literally walking on eggs. He is just like red-faced as we're leaving, and there's just a total dead silence in the car. And he gets about halfway home, and then he finally explodes, and he goes, I just want the two of you to know, Derek, you can tell your children, and you can tell your grandchildren. I don't care what anybody says. That was a dirty, dirty show. <laughs> See, this is the hill I'm going to die on. Yeah. I love it. It's so far removed from anything I was raised with, obviously, right? Where's the 72, man? There was fire in the so streets. So I didn't have to, like, but they didn't, like... They were all straight when I was growing up. All of them. When I first met the first unstraight person, she was, like, our housekeeper's daughter. <laughs> and, of course, they got a little crush on her. And she smoked cigarettes. And I was like, oh, my God, this is too much for little old me. I wanted to make a story up about how your introduction to, like, what counterculture was is that... You had never seen a long-haired boy, so you thought it was a girl, and you got a big crush. And I haven't even gotten to my first sexual experience. This is my first psychedelic experience, but we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> anyway, I'm sitting here with George, and he's like, he doesn't know from Saturday Night Live, and he's certainly not going to catch the references. So I'm sitting here, and I'm starting to come on to acid, and Richard Pryor comes on TV, and he starts talking about, I'm sure you've seen the routine. He goes, white dudes like to take acid, and he does his description of when he first tripped. And here I am having my first trip, and Richard Pryor is going, what the fuck is happening to me? And George kind of says to himself, hmm, I think this young man is speaking from experience. What the fuck? I know. So this motherfucker laid out, like, one-liners. He's just like, that was a dirty, dirty show. Yes. He's that kind of guy. He had things to say. He was a, a thought leader in the straight community. I remember once my mom told me, and she was a little tipsy, which is something I rarely saw. She was like, Derek, let me tell you something. I might be able to tolerate marijuana, but I don't ever want you to take LSD. 
it was just one of those things. LSD was considered like the thing that made you uh, grow an extra chromosome that would then cause you to jump out a fucking window. Kind of jump out window. Or stab or children. Or if you took it yeah. X amount of times, you're legally insane. Right. These same pathetic myths pushed into my adolescence. But your parents were both acid heads. My parents met each other on acid. Yeah, no. I mean, at the very core of what would become subsequently my conception, their LSD exists. Whoa, 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 whoa. What would George whoa. Kent have said about that? So anyway, that show ended, <laughs> and then... Dial M for Murder by Alfred Hitchcock came on. Dial M for Murder. Oh, that's pretty badass, yeah. though. And that Your was like... first trip? Yeah. Hey, was the shit kicking? Was it working? Was it good? It wasn't bad. I noticed it. I was high, yeah. yeah. That's all that matters. I wasn't baked for three days like nowadays, but I was like, oh, yeah. As long as it works, that's what's up. You definitely would get bad acid back in the day. It's been quite a while since I've had any bad acid. But the thing is, we're insiders now. You know, now oh, nobody right, would right, dare right. give it's a meat puppet yeah, bad yeah. acid because the word would get out. <laughs> People yeah. usually be like... I got the only good pot in town. You meet puppets, come over here. Well, fuck, dude. Even into my beginnings of... Stronatum. Find weed droughts. Oh, yeah. It was, that was still a thing. Yeah, it was way different. It's like, I still never assumed this would happen the way it has being legal. It's fucking incredible because, like... It's cheaper than fuel oil these it's days. It's a damn dream come true. I, I remember being a teenager. You could find a lot of Mexican weed. And it was hard to find kind buds. Yeah. We couldn't find it for a long time. I oh, just, that was like cause for celebration. I would like dream. About that was as if Nixon time. came to dinner or something. The only time I ever got kind bud is when I would go out to Texas and steal it from Kurt. Kurt would go to bed and I'd smoke some of his kind bud. The fucking weird thing about weed and me, though, is the way my body processed it. and However I was metabolizing it or however I was receiving it. I would get body high only for the first number of years of smoking weed. I first started smoking weed right after I turned 13. Likewise. I'd get like a body high, but never really feel anything in my head. And then I didn't really do it over the next couple of years, maybe a couple of times. And then into high school, I started smoking a lot. And I remember I smoked all of my sophomore year, but it wasn't until right into my junior year. And I remember my friend Chris Riffle had given me some weed for my birthday. And Chris was interesting because he was one of our friends. We went to public school in Mesa. But Chris went to Brophy, where the Kirkwoods had gone. Um, and uh, he gave me some pot for my birthday. I never bought pot. My friends always had it. I would never buy it. So I was like, oh, I have my own weed. <laughs> you know how nice. Yeah. And my mom and sister are down in Tucson at our grandparents for the weekend. So I'm at home by myself. In control of a bag of weed. And I hear a fucking knock, knock at the door. And it's my buddy Ira, and he's here with his girlfriend Mandy, and they just stop by, and they're like, do you want to hang out? And I was like, okay, fuck it, I'm here by myself. We put on HBO, so we watched that, and I go, hey, I've got some pot, and I don't know how we're going to smoke it, I don't know. We find a rolling paper, try to make a joint, and that's okay. And then we make a tin can pipe, right, yep. out of a fucking soda can. We hit this, and I'm sitting on the couch. <laughs> I realize that I've begun to perceive... Everything in this myopic tunnel vision, and all of a sudden my head's spinning. And I'm like, Oh, holy fucking shit! And then I realize I'm just high as fuck. I'm like, Oh, whoa! It's like I've been smoking weed for a while. This is what this shit really feels like. So, the psychoactive parts of marijuana for me have tapped into the psychedelic shit that's been opened up in me, yeah, and it always does. I mean, receptors I about the. Some of the heaviest psychedelic experiences I've ever have have been on edibles on marijuana yeah. or just smoking weed. People yeah. are like, yeah, edibles. People are like, how could that possibly be? And I'm like, I'm telling you, like, I've done a shitload of shrooms and a lot of acid. And 
uh, you know, a lot of psychedelics in general. I mean, and I continue to still do them. And I have had some profoundly intense experiences that are psychedelic. That's a little bit more manageable. I could run for president on acid. On marijuana, I can barely drive. We were doing South by Southwest. We had gone to a high times marijuana competition, the Cowboy Cup, the competition they have at South by Southwest. <laughs> it was so amazing. So they had all these cookies. So I just grabbed a handful of them, right? I ate like five of them, and then we went to this party. Then we were playing a gig that night. So we get up on stage, and I realize I can't. I can't stand up, so I had to lean myself against the amp so I didn't fall over. Somehow I played the show. It was horrifying. I was just not there. What took the Meat Puppets so long to set up a band camp site? That's what we're asking ourselves. Either way, the situation has been rectified. Follow us at meatpuppets.bandcamp.com and check out our current offerings. You might find something up there that's not available anywhere else. Anyway, I was going to tell you about the first time that I was featured in Congress with a woman is also an amazing slice of 70s life. It won't go on quite as long unless we sidebar it, which is fine. Well, we have an open school system here in Arizona. So I wanted to go to a school called Chaparral High School, not Saguaro High School, because my best friend at the time was going to Chaparral. And that also had a different, a little bit more of a progressive lean to it. But I couldn't get a bus to it. In fact, for the first half of my freshman year, I'd have to get up extra early and literally climb over uh, Mummy Mountain in order to get to the closest bus stop. And it was a real pain in the ass. But I started hitchhiking. <laughs> I only got hit up by one guy who asked if he could pay me to watch him jerk off. I was, he was going to pay you to watch yeah, him? I wasn't, I wasn't really comfortable uh, having the guy jerk off in front of me. I wasn't, didn't feel confident enough in my sexuality at the time. I was like, how about this? Why don't you give me your name and address, and you can start giving me money regularly. <laughs> right. Either way, I just said, now let me out. He did, and that was done. It was fine. It was the no. 70s. I put myself in strangers' vehicles as a child every fucking day it's so far that's out. so weird but the culture has changed yeah 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 first of all i was looking for experiences but culturally hitchhiking was still a thing that right it was on the way out right but it was still but a it thing. was very uh, much a thing it's weird because you think about that now and just the way things work with the ubers and the lifts not shit that's still dangerous you expedite things in different ways it used to just be a flip of a thumb now it's a press of a button. I could get killed for free back then. Now I'd have to pay for <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, you got to pay for that murder. So anyway, there's this chick on the side of the road, also hitchhiking. She goes, we should hitch together. I'm like, okay. So we get it. Well, we get into the car and she's like, um, actually, could I come home with you? I'm like going, finally, I've reached hippie heaven. So she comes back to the house and I sneak her in and she's like going, I don't have a place to stay. I ran away from home. I'm like, this is it. This is the real counterculture. This is the underground. And she starts wanting to, like, fool around. And she uh, gets my pants off, takes her pants off, and entrance occurs. <laughs> but it was very fumbly, and she's like, all right, let's stop. Then I stash her in the back, and uh, she's like, I'll just catch a ride to school with you in the morning. Like, hitch with her. I'm like, okay, whatever. At this point, I'm just like, oh, now what? But it's raining the next day. So George Kent, the aforementioned Dr. George Kent, had to give me a ride to school. And there's this girl standing in our driveway under the awning. And I was going, yeah, this is a friend of mine. She uh, goes to school, too. We'll just take her as well. And George is like, huh. So he takes us to school. I get a call to the counselor's office a couple hours later. And they're going, so, yeah, you're 
stepfather brought this girl to us that you had like befriended. You need to understand she's an escapee from a uh like a juvie. Yeah. And we just need to find out what happened because George wasn't fooled at all by my saying that she was a friend of mine. So he immediately like took her to the office, even though I had left. And he basically chased me off and wanted me out of there to protect me. And they were like going, so we got her back to the, you know, we we're, she's been returned to custody and everything is fine. I, I think basically they're asking me if, if I was okay. That is far out. Yeah. I'll just give you an, an example of what the world was like back then. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about it is, is I was untouched by what you might call macho because I was very into the hippie movement and the ideal of the hippie movement. I was not interested in utilizing women as sex objects. That's why Bostrom would rarely get down on tour, but he would often get crushes because he always <laughs> wanted to join uh, spiritually with the young ladies and not just use them for sex, which is difficult on the road. <laughs> You know, in my practice has been with that when it comes to the friends I make on the road that are female. Indeed. I don't do either with them. We, we, we don't gauge in physical or emotional congress. Everybody's my friend always. I don't have to bang anybody for the rest of my life. Right. Which I can decide right now. And I don't even know if it's a decision so much as it is a fucking reconciliation with uh, reality. Yeah, my point is, is like once I got all that shit out of my system, you know, <laughs> instead of like treating it like some sort of thing that I was just trying to get past. It was like, you know how it is you, when you're ready, the uh, the cocoon opens as it uh -huh. were. Anyway, I've tried to be ready a few different times. I know my intentions are always there. And, uh, yeah, but when you're ready... No, no, no. Relationships are a trip. The opportunity to meet people is more difficult than ever. And this is what I learned, was that it was very hard to find the right woman while on the road, which was the only contact that I had with people, was through the band. I got very lucky, but it's, it's hard to meet people anymore. You're a very outgoing guy, and people can get the wrong impression and, and think of you as something that's not fully and real. Mm -hmm. I'm a, I get overstimulated around people so then the entertainer becometh. <laughs> it's part of the stresses that come with this lifestyle that we have. <laughs> yeah. I've, I really appreciate the relationships I've had. I really appreciate all of them as people and as friends. Anybody that can spend a lot of time around and with me is kind of a far-out motherfucker because I get pretty fucking weird. I get pretty far out. Not weird in a bad way, just... Plus, when you're on tour... If they can hang it all with that, I can imagine that's fucking hard. That would suck. Now, me, I had an experience where I got dragged into a party after we had been up for a couple of days, and I was really tired. And some wife of some dude, and the dude was standing right there, was getting too flirty with me, and I began to get pissed off. You don't know me. Why do you think that you can just treat me this way? I just felt like, oh, you think I'm in a band and you think I'm just here for your entertainment? I amuse you. What do you mean I'm funny? Yeah, right. Funny like I amuse you? Right. This was a situation where I felt angry enough to uh, be rude. <laughs> and I felt that she was using me. They do it all the time. Yeah. Had it happened to me so many times. It's always the same thing, too, because it's an unrealistic sort of flirting. Because yep. that flirting never happens when girls are flirting with you for real. Yep. All of a sudden, there's some chick. She'll be overly touchy with you. Weird. And it's like, huh. And then all of a sudden, you realize that 
She's got friends with her, either one or several. They're yep. all male. Sometimes it's obvious she's there with her beau. Other times she's there with several guys, one of which is her beau, but she's torturing him with her other male friends there, and now yeah. she's hitting on you in front of him. Yeah. That typically shut that down anyhow. Yeah. Plus it would wreck the next gig if I had to stay up all <laughs> night. So that, it's also, so that I could end up at your fucking apartment. Check it out. Here's what really happens. We stay, we talk. I, we're, we're at a fucking rock club. So what happens is you want to get food. So then I end up at Denny's. By the time we get back to your apartment, it's 5 a.m. It smells like cats, and you want to have some more drinks. This is a as, perennial problem. As <laughs> we finally start to make out, you pass out. And I'm a good guy, so I get myself a cab and fucking leave, and I got to find my way to the hotel. It's now 7 a.m. We leave at 8.30. This is just why I don't hook up. I can tell this story to anybody. Hey, listen, if you play in rock bands and you're a like, semi-fuckable human as a guy, yep. you have lived this, yep. and you know better. But the problem is, is the energy that comes off the stage is hard to dissipate. <laughs> and when people come into your environment at that moment, you're still vulnerable, and you're not able to make good decisions. <laughs> We've done well. We've moved right around into talking about the weirdnesses of touring without having to put too fine of, of a point on it. Mm -hmm. um, but it is interesting to note that my first sexual and psychedelic experience from, that I explained to you from the 70s are probably very different from your own. And please, you don't need to share. Oh, I wasn't going to. Uh, but our experiences with this kind of situation <laughs> on the road are perennial. Well, that is just... <laughs> Some things just are what they are. The reason that Spinal Tap's one of the best movies ever is because it's real. That's what happens. Yeah. Everything about that is real to an extent. To an extent. But that's why me and like my anecdotes or that little story, it just encapsulates what the experience is. That's so relatable on a human level, but it's very relatable to people that live a certain sort of lifestyle. And the people that are listening to this, a lot of them actually do do the same sort of shit that right. we do. They know that fucking twist. And I like that shit. I think that's fucking funny. Our buddy Tony tells me, I really love your guys' podcast. I put it on when I'm like hiking. He goes, half the time I have no fucking clue what you're talking about, but yeah. I like it better that way. It's supposed to be in code. It's really obvious if you know, right. but other people are left, they're left to sort out like, what the fuck are these guys saying? But it's actually cool. It's almost as if we're actually looking to get something well, off I, of one another. Yeah. So anyway, as much as I, I love to talk about the old days, we're at the point where we're actually creating new, uh, hilarious, iconic anecdotes in the present. Nuevo. Uh, for the love of God, we fucking, after talking about it for so long, we finally got on stage just the three of us, just as naked as the day we were born. And this is something we bandied about for years for real and there are so much to think about you know you like you get somebody to agree to let you come up on stage you show up there and you do it and you leave but there's so many fucking thoughts that churn through my pathetic little head but tell me as somebody who recently traveled to california did a show traveled back and then came and played in your own backyard aside from just saying it was great <laughs> what, what are your thoughts on the on the subject uh, aside from it being great, which there are parts of it that were, you think back to like when we first, when we first were jamming a lot and we would like record it. Yeah. And there was some of those were pretty fucking cool. And then I got a job at the pizza place Yep. and I didn't have a job. And then all of a sudden you listen to the recordings and they start to shape into something different. Yep. 
then the way we played together just started to change. You yep. started to hear that. Well, we started ditching the stuff that really wasn't working. Right, and more and more and more, we got cohesive as this improvisational, off-the-cuff jam unit. We started having these practices. So when we came back to it, we came back with a ferocity and a real attentive kind of like cohesiveness and just fucking exploded into something way different randomly i got hit up by some people talking about me puppets gigs and i offered up that we've been jamming and things just started happening we started saying things and putting it out there and then bam we got gigs and we were just gonna go and jam and then we realized we couldn't people think that this is a band they think this is a band because of the real rich legacy that is the meat puppets and then it being a trio wherein the only other person is the other dude's kid plus the fact that the original meat puppets were a trio i just have a bunch of stuff that's like super cool that with the way we play as a trio is gonna be so fucking good the thing that was interesting about it is it was actually pretty good and then we get on stage and it wasn't perfect but the thing about it is, is you're our, at heart, we started as a kind of a jam band, which means we're looking for a, a vibe, as it were. We're looking to, to hit a certain groove, come together in a certain way. We didn't really get that groove going. We played kind of brittle on the first show, but it's the first show. We were just going to have to play this. Right. Sh- the sound was insane. So it was like. This is why I like to listen to the recordings, because I'm working when we're doing it. Listening to it going. Like that's our very, very first show that's ever. Good. It's that good. I'm always waiting for fans to like post video of it because I I've seen quite a few videos. All actually. right, so I, I need to see that. And there was a video of us taken from your side. There's plenty of good footage of me, and I like to see myself play because it really reinforces how you know what I'm doing. It helps helps me a lot. Um, but God, I was like, wouldn't it be cute? Why don't we throw "I'm a Mindless Idiot" into the um, "Up in the Sun" jam thing? We do. We want to do this tribute to Spot. You know, it's like we're playing meat puppet songs. That's not really what we want to do. But you, you like played the riff to I'm a Mindless Idiot. And then you were able to settle into an improv piece. This was the more spontaneous part because we hadn't practiced this song more than <laughs> we'd ran through it once. And there's parts where you're like, it's it's just such a weird thing where you're like letting go and, and grab it on, ca- catching shit. Then like letting it go yeah. and, and um it's somewhat beef hearty but you're also in the back oh, of your, it is it is yeah. and you're in your head back going all right the calculation is like i need to get back into up on the sun for the big finish right? Know, right and by doing that you're like playing all sorts of fucking patterns that's just the weirdest shit this was a real seat of the pants moment, <laughs> and, you, and all of the show was great you know uh, I love the songs that you do. I think that the, the the Chris songs are coming on really good. I like our take on the covers, but that was the moment that struck me looking back on it where that's that was the payoff for me. What mm-hmm. I was looking for was that really off the cuff moment. It was pretty fucking wild. I watched it's the a, Wiley Coyote. I watched moment. a video of it. Yeah. And I was and I hadn't remembered playing it. <laughs> that playing when I watched it was a trip. Because then I remember doing parts of it. I was like, oh, I remember this. I, you know. This is when you're playing music, but you're also thinking about what you're... Right. So what was really funny about it is I knew where I had to jump back into the other one, right? Uh-huh. People can't see this, but I've just picked up my cellular telephone, which I have an app, which is GarageBand, which I make little demos on all the time. So I spend so much time looking at music tracked out. And I yep. see it in a linear way. So... When I'm playing those riffs, I am literally visualizing in my head. It's not arbitrary per se, but it kind of is at this point. But it's yeah, X amount of measures down. And I'm just twiddly diddling 
and each and every single one of my riffs, the sum of a whole, like I'm like fucking, I'm adding to get to this one place. Adding uh, and subtracting. Yeah, it's like but Tetris. But you're also listening. I have to listen to you guys, and I have to also be mindful of this thing that I've been building the whole time, which is the segue into it, which is something that, as a musician, I'm particularly good at. You've jammed with me enough. I naturally create very big grand entrances and exits and like uh delineations like you can tell like dynamically i'm i'm very giving i think so but also part of the jamming we've done over the past five years especially when we decided this is going to fucking happen part of it boiled down to organizing the because some of our improvs are just like mindless it's like i drag your ass out of bed drag you over to my house have you lie on the on the floor and just, you know, play a bunch of weird shit. And then I was like, now nah, if we like add a little bit more structure to it. Well, you know what I thought too? Cause I had this whole time been like trying to figure out what's, what's the right thing to do here. Like, how's this nothing feel like uh, it was obvious, but not, and then it was obvious. And it was like, Oh, I see. I didn't think so at first because of the way we play together. But then we became really, un- it was like, Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> what if we do play these songs? And it was like, because we got there. We got there without playing the songs. Yep. We did the other thing so much that we rose to the level that... And the songs sound really fucking good. They and really they sound, sound so cool because... It's got a lot of personality. The demos I made of them, they're definitely not three-piece. No. But it's so... But the way we've managed to do them fills out very lovely. Yeah. And uh, they sound really nice. And I've gotten great feedback. I have people been telling me after the gig thing... Oh, they translate well. well. Hold on real quick, real quick. People listening to this should be aware that like we've been playing these songs for a couple weeks that's so keep this in mind these are brand fucking new we are just learning this stuff so when you keep that in mind the standards we set for ourselves are hilarious but they're very high for a reason and it's because as conceited as it sounds everybody here is been a professional musician for a long time <laughs> we're all really good everyone has their shit together it's Supremely. But we're building this from the ground up. Exactly. So we're sort of starting as yeah. yeah. Folks, it's new release time at the old Meat Puppets Corral, and we got a new one for you that's bound to set your music bone to tingling. It's called Camp Songs, and it's chock full of cool folk songs and country covers culled from our stash of live tapes and recorded on the road back in the early 1990s. That's a right chunk of grade A prime rock history right there. You can find links to all our online stores at themeatpuppets.com slash store. Mosey on over. The thing that struck me as well, and I will make it, make a passing mention of it, it just gives you a sense of the difference. Um, the band that played before us, nice, you know, good good guys, obviously very young. They came from the Alice Cooper Rock School. And I was talking to our buddy Jeremy, who was there. He said that he is, I had um, judged some of these, like, events and he said they get equal points for professionalism and politeness as they do for, like, playing the song right. And he was like, <sighs> and then he told me that the school arranges for gigs for these guys. And I'm like, wait a minute. We're, like, raw as fuck. We're trying to, like, we're basically trying to, like, fight to get a space where we can make the music we're trying to make, right? And that's, like, part of the journey, part of the challenge, part of the experience that we came up with believing in rock and roll and these kids are learning in school, and it's like, well, this is very good. It's a great way to help underprivileged kids. I'm like, yes, but the venues are going to get used to the easiness of getting polite kids that the school 
is paying them to play. And no, no so one's going to get used to shit. This isn't going to. Puts my band at a disadvantage. Don't you know it does. This, is, this isn't going to be a thing that like. Yeah, this isn't going to get legs enough to run away. Thank you for loving me out of that. Yeah, because, well, I loved us both out of that one because I was like, ew. And I realized, oh, God, that's just dope. They've been trying to do this forever. I'm 63 years old. I see a bunch of 20-somethings play, and I just figure, well, this is the way it's going to be from now on. My day has passed. It's just so unfair, these poor people. Like, they're like... Why are they doing this? They they make it the tackiest thing ever. It's the same thing as buying a pre-made skateboard from Kmart and going, I'm a real skater with your pads on and stuff. Or being the, really into the art that you see on hotel walls. Right, right. <laughs> Most of the time they're like a Christian band mm-hmm. or they're brothers. Yeah. Or they got into it through... Uh, the organizations that are available to them. precisely so so and a lot of times that would be youth groups or a church no what you're supposed to do is be an artist be around other artists who are motivated to be real artists and then make good art i could put a finer point on, on it than that it's like in the moment you never know what's going to happen part of our enthusiasm for playing all the notes right on uh, our first gig which you'd think would be table stakes is how important there's just a flat-out chaos that we're trying to... It's, it's, a, he, it's a healing chaos. <laughs> and, and it's interesting to have to start a band with that kind of idea, that we're going to, like, go nuts and stuff. And it's it's not undangerous because we... Well, I always say that about the time it gets good is about the time it gets boring because there's always that arc <laughs> oh, when you're, when you're you. trying to make it happen. Well, that's and then why. you there's that brief plateau when you make it happen. You have to find a way to, like, maintain some part of it but then always be able to evolve. Some people can do it musically. It's impressive. But like what I like about what we're doing is our fucking came from this really intense jam space into this place where we're playing songs now. We're spending Meat Puppets capital. You know, we're like taking something that we know and turning it into something we don't know to see what happens. Do you know that U2 brings a fucking priest along with them on the road to bless the tour, bless the stage, and have prayers before the show? Bono? Isn't that weird? That's I mean, it's not weird. It makes great sense, but wow, who that's knew? That's a thing. Yeah, exactly. That's a thing? What nerds. But you bring a priest along with you when you guys tour. <laughs> in, in our own way, we're all priests. I actually believe that. Yeah, so do I. I mean, that's the... That's kind of the, the key. Yeah. It's it's real too. So I won't even try to like put a fine point on it. Unlike my, my general disrespect for all things, I have enough respect for our priesthood to not say what we're priests of because I don't know. I listen to the tape and we're actually pretty good. That's quite a good listen. I recommend that everyone come out to see us if they ever get the chance. I guess that's my point. I, I, it's just fucked up how good we are already. Honestly, the reality of that we've been playing these songs for a couple weeks. But it's not just that. We also only gave ourselves a couple of weeks. Oh, yeah, we yeah. wanted the stage to be kind of a lab to see yeah, where it would of course, go. Of course. You don't know otherwise. So part, part of what we're enthusiastic you know about, about is that we did drag the audience along right. with us. And you know what's weird about it is that like when, you're in, <laughs> when you play a Beat Puppets gig, after every single song, everybody screams really loud. You get used to it. They yeah. come ready to so like you get it. get spoiled. It's so weird to do this and to just kill a song. And they're like, clip, clip, clip. It's like so weird because... Oh, the Meat Puppets are an American icon. It's pre-sold. But you get spoiled. Even after that show, there are people coming up to me going... Oh, no, people, people dig this for real. The thing about it is, is like, if you got like the whole school of rock behind you, it might be easy because these guys actually have mentors, you know? Right, right. I got no mentor. 
I'm just out there trying to make my own way, trying to make it as good as I possibly can without pissing off people. And I will fail, right? Except for somebody has to. But the thing is, is that it has got to be. It has to be a thing. My way of handling some of the stresses of the road are to focus on the details. And I work on that. One of the reasons why this podcast is fun to do, despite the fact that I actually do end up putting a lot of work into it, is I don't have to deal with any other fuckers. It's just like with this Mesa Arts thing. It's like there's some people are into it, and then there are some people that aren't into it, and you become a pawn in their fucking little pissing war. We almost had that problem with this podcast. We gave somebody an opportunity to let us be a pawn in their game, and fortunately we dodged that bullet. Which is to say we're making no money off of this, but we are using it to advertise our other products, which is a good thing. I mean, that's the main difference between playing at my house where I've managed to accrue as much control over the situation as humanly possible and playing out. Suddenly you got other fuckers. I'm like going, are you trying to fuck us up? What you're hired for is to help us, to help us, not to fuck us up. I was going to tell you about pornography, too. I remember the, the situation. You know me as a reasonably unaggressive. Well, I'm actually very aggressive, but I'm not physically violent. Yeah. Um, the uh, I remember going into one of those loot places. We used to love to get high and go to the loot places because back then, unlike now, you couldn't see porn unless you really made a, a, an effort, right? Right. You'd have to like go, you'd have to get quarters, you'd have to go into the fucking shithole world, you'd have to deal with fuckers. And we were kids. And a lot of times you'd be like, our main goal would be like whether or not they called us out for being underage. So we were just trying to sneak in there to see it. Usually we would succeed. But I remember one time when I was in there in the little quarter thing and something went on. It was like, oh, I hate this. So I groaned. And some guys just took it as uh, that I was looking for a party. All I did was like groan at how much I hated the lube. I was like, ah, this is stupid. He goes, really? 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 So he comes in. I'm like, no. But he he doesn't take no for an answer. So he takes another move for me. And little Bostrom stomped out of there. And I came out of there. And I was high. I was like going, wow, I really punched that guy. There was another time I remember going to taking a girl to a date. She wanted to see porn. And porn was sleazy. And we went in a theater. After we we absorbed the uh, the pornography at the theater, we came back and we're like, we need to say goodnight now. <laughs> this is we're grossed out. That's uh, awesome. There used to be these pop up porn places that would just show up down in like a it was like a warehouse kind of a thing, but it had a stage. It was <laughs> what? Like, now McDowell used to be the Miracle Mile. It was fairly <laughs> built up. It had theaters and stuff that had been turned into warehouses, right? But this is a theater that had been turned into a warehouse that had been turned into a pop up porn theater and then torn down. And I was like, I had to check this out. It was just one day I happened to be driving past and be like, there's porn here. I'm like, oh, cool. So I went in there and it was a great big room with a stage. And the stage is maybe three feet high. And they had dancers in between the films. And the films was just like eight millimeter silent shit running on this great big wall. So it looked like hell. But what I remember is the chick, she didn't dance. She came down took off her pants and lay down on the stage and spread her leg. And that's, she just sit there and, and show it. And then she put, and then, then the, and then during the movie, she would come around and like, would you give me some money for my dance? Would you? And she's like, work the audience while they were sitting there going, do you have any money? Oh, this is dire. This uh, is not. Was, was it, uh, and then I remember one time we went to a place that was on the river bottom down off, off of like central and like the salt. I used to live with a fellow who was definitely a sex addict. He used to sit there at night going, where can we go? Where can we go? 
and we went to this um, porn place on the river bottom, and it was one of those places where there would be a chick dancing in the middle, what? and little booths. So basically, you were supposed to go oh, in there. Oh yeah, that weird and, shit. And jerk off to this woman shaking her, her naked body in this room. It's like a panopticon, a porn yeah, panopticon. Oh, yeah, I know, yeah. And um, she's like a regular chick, just just trying to make a living, right? For crying out loud, on the bottom of on the river bottom, bottom feeding on the river bottom, and so. So we both looked at it. We checked it out for a while, and then we split. But she didn't know that we split. So she kept talking to us, <laughs> like saying that porn shit. And we had already, we were already like heading out. And it was like, here's this non-attractive young woman, naked for strangers, trying to make a living, titillating them on some sort of level, and failing at it, and like trying to work her craft, quote unquote. And we we're like bailing, and she doesn't even know. It was oh the weirdest my thing. God. That's so fucking awesome. That CD weird fucking shit. I know. It's gone now. Oh, dude, yeah, no. Things don't, like, even from when, like, my age is so cool, but not. I'm you aware. You guys are the last really great era and age. Pre-internet is all. And I'm, like... You're pre-internet as well. I got a lot of great shit, and especially was really lucky because of the people I was around, my parents and you as a fucking youth. So I got the exposure. Luckily... We had the pre-internet crazy dialed. We were, like, masters of it. It was incredible. The things, like, I try to explain to my friends the shit I grew up with, Uh and they can't relate. And they go, oh, so that's the problem. And I'm like... They can't relate. (laughs) They can't relate to... Well, it's happened my whole life. Yes, you are not relatable, my friend. (laughs) So I can't... Like, my friends are just like... It just means that the friends that you have and the ones that you've kept are the ones that you really cherish. Fucking, it was great to see your guys down there. Oh, that was was a blast. Plus, all of your friends were so glad to see you doing music. You haven't done a show of your own shit in a long time. I, I definitely got the sense that like our meat puppets friends out in California, they dug it, but they weren't quite in sync with us. Like the, the SST show, we're asking for a commitment from people to pay attention on a level they're not prepared to do even with the meat puppets because the meat puppets make it fucking easy for them. We play songs that they've heard. We play them well. We drag Grandpa Kurt up there for everybody to ogle. But for this, it's like we're asking them to to enter our lives in a way that the meat puppets no longer have to do. But we used to, Jesus Christ, we used to play some fucking horrendous fucking We got better. More people were coming to the shows. And that was, we still have that. We've gotten fucked over by COVID. A lot of bands did, but we definitely did. We got supremely fucked. The rug pulled out from under us. It's been fucked. And the thing about that SST show is it's like reunion, tribute, and here we are trying to fucking keep our goddamn fucking lives going. I know. Dude. And I felt like, this is my fucking life here. You know what? I liked it, though, because it showed me, like... Right. Right. I was like, all right, y'all just hanging out. This is the same thing. You don't mean to be an asshole. You don't mean to be cocky or rude, but you've been a professional musician for long enough to where you're going. We put a lot of ourselves into this. Yeah, I don't think people quite understand. It's like exactly what kind of shit we do like and especially it's like even our own gigs it's like we can only give 110 percent. we can't just say well there's 12 people here we'll just play shitty what'll end up happening is we'll play too good and then we'll piss somebody off and there'll be a fight 